but it's been a series that basically uh, is summarized with the idea of this. I want you to be really good at beginnings. And what I mean by really good at beginnings, I mean that every once in a while in life, some things like come to a close, like a season of life comes to a close, a relationship comes to a close, a job opportunity comes to a close, and you get a chance to kind of restart or reboot or do something different. And you, when you encounter those experiences and those, and those opportunities, you find yourself saying something, right? I want to make sure that this next time doesn't turn out like last time. I want to make sure that this next opportunity I get isn't exactly like the last opportunity I got. Because, I mean, it was fine. It was great. But I could do better. Or there are things that I regret or, or I did. Um, and, and now that I have time to think about it, really, um, I, I just I want it to be different this time. I want to be better at beginnings. Uh, and we said, unfortunately, a reality of life is that we learn uh, from our mistakes in the areas that matter least, right? There are things that we've done uh, when it comes to like group text messages or reply all that went out to the entire business. And, and you realized I'll never do that again. And you learn from your mistakes in the areas of life that matter least. But when it comes to the areas of life that matter most, we find ourselves repeating our same dumb mistakes. We find ourselves doing relationships in the same exact way and going, how, why, why would I do this again? Right? You, you, you in the, in, in the moment of kind of self-reflection in the moment of just you and yourself and on your, as you lay your head on your pillow, go, why, why would I, why am I refusing to kind of learn from my stupid mistakes and in doing the exact same thing again and again and again and over and over and over. So we said that uh, a lot of times the reason is because we've never changed anything. Um, that we've never really evaluated our past. We've always just thought experience is enough. I'm more experienced now, but experience just makes you older. And it's, it's not enough to say, well, I know better because you know better about a lot of things in life. And yet you still eat at McDonald's, right? You still, you still go through the drive-thru. You, you know better and yet you still do it. So it's not a matter of knowing better. It's not about a matter of having experience or uh, in, in the third one, we said um, time is an issue. We feel like I gotta jump back in. I gotta get back in quick. And we said, no, 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 time is your friend. It's not your enemy. There are so many things that are factoring into it that if you refuse to really like do a couple of things, why should you expect your next time to be any different than your last time? So we said there's a, a few things that are important. <clears throat> three things, takeaways, three weeks in the series. That's the idea and that's the whole thing. So last week we said, owning it is important. Listen, I know that when you looked at what happened in your last thing and the reason that it, it worked out the way that it did, there are lots of external factors in there that you could point to and be like, this little piece was my fault. A majority of it was somebody else's fault. It was a market thing. It was her. It was him. It was something else. I could point to and be like, not a lot of it is my fault. I have lots of reasons for why it turned out the way that it did. And we can fall into the pit of blame. And where we would say, listen, I'll own up to, I'm not perfect, but she's an idiot. You know what I mean? Like if there's a pie chart of, of this, she's an idiot takes up 98% and I'm not perfect is like the 2% part of our pie. And we said, listen, that may be true, but it doesn't do you any good to not reflect on your piece of the pie. You can't change her. You can't change him. You can't change the situation. All you can do is work on <clears throat> you. And if you refuse to do that, if you participate in blame, and if all it is is blame, then what happens is blame allows you to smuggle in your dysfunction and your insecurities and your flaws into the next round. If you refuse to make peace with your past, <clears throat> and if you refuse to own up to your peace of the past, you'll never have peace in your future, right? So, 
as much as it might be somebody else's fault, it is worth your time to investigate and to study what is my part of the piece of the blame. Now, you're going to say your voice just started getting bad. You should have heard it for a service. <clears throat> I actually thought I was doing pretty good there for a second, but I picked up smoking this week. And so, um, and I just dove right in. I'm like three packs a day in. I'm, I'm heavy in this stuff. <clears throat> Trust me, I feel fine. I just sound like a frog. So I apologize. You'll have to live with it. Here's what I want to ask you. So last week we said owning it's important. Then we said rethinking it. We're going to talk about rethinking it. That's today. I think <clears throat> if you were to look back and reflect upon your last disaster, that thing that you regret, that thing that you wish doesn't happen again in life, <clears throat> you probably found yourself asking a question. And that question was this. What was I thinking? What was I thinking? Now, here's the problem with asking that question. We never give ourselves long enough to actually come up with an answer for that, nor do we want an answer for that because we don't like the answer that we come up with. We ask it in a rhetorical sense. We ask, what was I thinking? And then I move on with life. That's how we, and, and, and oh, thank you. I have some right here, but I appreciate that. <clears throat> um, we, we refuse to uh, really focus in on the answer to that question. And if we don't answer that question, what was it exactly that I was thinking? Why should we be surprised when the next relationship or the next job opportunity ends up just like the last one? It is worth your time. It is worth my time to answer, to come up with an answer. Even if we don't like what we have to say about it, even if we don't like what we come up with, what were you thinking in that moment? What were you thinking in that moment? Because we never wait around long enough for an answer, but you owe it to yourself to do that. <clears throat> Another, a possible answer. What was I thinking? Why did I text him back? Why did I text her back? Why did I buy that thing? What was I thinking? Here's what I was thinking. No payments until 2018. And that was 2016. And 2018 felt so far away. And now 2018 is here. And in 2016, you're like, dude, by then we'll have flying cars and everything will be different. And the economy is going to be great. And I'm going to be making a million dollars at this new, whatever. <clears throat> and, we, and we really never thought about it. And now we're here. And we find ourselves thinking, gosh, dang it. What was I thinking? <clears throat> and even when we come up with an answer, we don't like it because our decisions don't even make sense to us. <clears throat> if you think the way that you used to think, you'll do the things that you used to do. That's the thesis. That's the, that's the um, jumping off point for today's talk. If you don't change your thinking in this way, then don't be surprised when you find yourself doing the same thing. <clears throat> now, here's the cool part. Um, there's a, a passage in Romans that I want to look at today that I think speaks to this in a big way. Paul writes a letter to a church, and Romans is a, a letter. It's, it's, it's one of the books of the Bible, but the Bible isn't really, it's not a book, and it's not really a collection of books. It's a collection of a lot of different documents. Some of them are books. Some of them are letters. Some of them are poetry. Some of them are law. And in Romans, what we find is a church that is attempting to exist in the city of Rome during the time that Paul is kind of starting all these churches and writing <clears throat> and offering and operating as kind of an external advisor to all of these different churches. He, uh, he sees this church in Rome that is trying to kind of make it work. However, they're in the literal shadow of the empire. Um, 
in that town, you've got all kinds of temples, all kinds of pagan rituals, all kinds of holdovers from Greek society, all kinds of uh, military, industrial kind of complex stuff that's going on. And so he, and he's never been to Rome. He, he writes them to try and give them a picture of really the sovereignty of God and the bigness of God and the um, nature of salvation as it uh, pertains to us individually and corporately as a body of Christ. So, <clears throat> and in this passage, he spends basically like 11 chapters speaking of the actions of God and, and really like our kind of response to this. And then in chapter 12, there's like this transition a little bit. It's a really popular, famous verse. If you grew up in church or um, <clears throat> youth group or whatever, you probably know this verse. As soon as I say, Romans chapter two, or sorry, chapter 12, verses one and two. You're gonna be like, oh yeah, I, I get this. And here's what he says. Therefore, which always means that something came before, which influences and speaks into what's about to come after. So looking back at the 11, you know, the previous 11 chapters of thought, that will then influence what I have to say moving forward. Therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, right? Writing to um, a Christian audience, fellow believers, which by the way, if you're not a Christian, then this doesn't apply to you. Like you get a free pass. It's free pass Sunday. You don't have to do anything as a result. You, don't, you never have to do anything as a result of this. But <clears throat> what I mean for, for us then, for those of us who identify as Christians, this is important. This is Paul offering advice about Christians that I think applies not only to them, but also then to us. In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in, in view of his activity in the previous 11 chapters, in view of him loving us even before we could potentially even love him, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, <clears throat> he's speaking to a group of people who know all about sacrificial systems. Because in that day and age, when they would walk down the street, there would be pagan temples with pagan rituals and pagan offerings going on all the time. There would be blood running in the streets because of what is being offered to the gods to make them happy or appease them or bless us as a nation, okay? <clears throat> so in spite of all of that taking place, Paul like takes that and like does a word play on it. You know all about dead sacrifices, but in view of God's mercy... I want you to offer up a living sacrifice. Did you just say living, Paul? Yes, yeah, I'm living like yourself. Offer your bodies, like not just your minds or like pieces of you, but like a wholeness of self. This is not offer up your Sundays from 11 to noon as a, you know, as a, a living sacrifice to God. This is speaking into a greater deal. He's trying to say, I, this is going to be a consuming thing for you to live, to live as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, <clears throat> if this doesn't make sense to you, Paul kind of anticipates that from, his, from an audience standpoint. He goes, all right, I know this is a big ask, and I know that there's a lot of things going on here. So let me make it real practical. Let me kind of Line it out for you of what I mean with all of this. Verse two, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul essentially says this. There's an underlying pattern that is taking place in this world. In other words, if you don't do anything, you will end up as something. You don't end up as nothing. You eventually get somewhere. If you've ever gone to the um, Pelican Bay Water Park at the uh, racket club over there in Richland and done that thing called the Lazy River, you know what I mean? You sit there or you've gone to a cooler water park maybe. Um, You sit there and you don't do anything and yet you're doing something, right? There is movement taking place. And sometimes you don't even realize how fast you're moving until you try and put your feet down because your kid flipped over on the inner tube and you got to go rescue him. And you're like, I better get back there. And then you stop and then the flow is all against you. And you're like, oh, I didn't even realize that I was being moved in a certain way. Paul is saying, listen, if you do nothing, there is a pattern being formed in you. I want you to change your thinking and it's going to require you to go against the stream. And you're not going to know how difficult it is until you begin to do it. You're not going to realize how much of a product of a pattern you really are until you push yourself in a different direction as a result of that. Only then will you understand what it means to be different. And the church and the nation of Israel throughout the entire book of the Old Testament and the New Testament was called over and over again to be a different sort of people. Theologians call it a a peculiar people that when people observe from the outside, they go, there's something different about the way that they live. There's something different about the way that they think. Paul is describing it here. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Don't conform, be transformed. Don't conform, be transformed. I did youth ministry for six years, which means I was a youth pastor and I did a lot of summer camps and winter camps. And every time you do a camp, there has to be some sort of a theme that you try and build upon it, right? Like, and this, this was one of the ones that just kept coming up over and over again. You want these kids to not fall into the pattern because every high school kid, they want to stand out, but then they, live, they make decisions that are all about fitting in, right? And you look and, 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 you try and, and you look at their friends and you look at how they're ending up and you're like, <clears throat> you try and point them to the, this idea of, listen, I think you're supposed to be different. I think you're supposed to live differently. I want you to be transformed. I want you to not conform to the pattern. I mean, this is a constant message for high school kids. And so this is a repetitive message. And it would always show up in the form of... <clears throat> You know, camp was all about, you know, coming together and pulling away from your parents and your regular lifestyle and, you know, the busyness of that and having like an altar call time and some sort of filling out a card, raising of hands or something like that. And it was always a powerful, like, or powerful. It was, it was a uh, unique moment. It's supposed to be like, that's when I was transformed. And yet Paul inserts something here that's a little bit different. He says that transformation doesn't take place by a decision but by, a, by the renewing of your mind. I don't want you to be conformed in the pattern of everything else. I want you to be different. But that difference occurs when you understand what the renewing of your mind looks like. A renewing has a couple of um, things associated with it. One is an ongoing process. He's trying to say this doesn't happen in a vacuum. This doesn't happen as a one-time occurrence. This is something that occurs 
over and over and over again. This is a process, this renewing type of thing. Listen, if you want to renew your mind, if you want to think differently, you don't just decide one day, I'm going to think differently. You, you attempted to do that. You, there are all kinds of promises of transformation, especially around January. When it comes to fitness and diet and exercise, and I promise to be transformed so that 30 days from now, we're all really good at taking before pictures, right? And not so great at taking the after pictures because we promised transformation and then we promised ourselves transformation and then it just didn't happen because we refused to renew our mind. We were really, listen, in that moment, we really wanted to change our diet. And we really wanted on January 1st to make exercise a habit. But we didn't make it a habit. We made it a moment and we worked out on January 2nd. And we had a really good workout and it hurt for like three days. And those jeans fit well for three days. But that's just a moment. That's not a renewing of anything. And then the second piece of renewing, renewing can also mean to restore something, to restore it to its true state, to bring it back to its original true state. And when I think of restoring something, I think of people who restore old furniture or restore old cars. Uh, in, In order to restore something properly, here's what I found out, because Every year, there's a thing around the uptown here called the uh, Cool Desert Nights. It's a car show. And if you've ever been here before or um, you've tried to park on that Sunday morning and you had to park across the street, Dairy Queen, and walk in, you're like, what's going on? You see all these beautiful cars and they have little posters about what they did with their car, right? And anytime that they talk about how they restored their car, it's never like I repainted my car. Restoring is so much more than repainting. If you... If you had somebody go, yeah, I repainted this and, and I never stripped off the, like restoring for them is a process that takes time. And whenever you hear about them bragging about their restoration of a vehicle, they never brag about how quickly it went. Have you noticed that? You got a friend that restores cars? It's always, it took me six months to do 17 coats of paint on this new vehicle to restore it to its original shine. You see that carburetor cover? It took me seven months to find that on eBay. I had to ship it in from China. Nobody brags about, I restored this car, only took me two weeks. They'd be like, that's not even, that's not, that's not work. I want to hear, it's impressive to me about when it takes time. You see, renewing something is a process and it's something that takes time in order to do it that if you stopped for a moment and thought to yourself, what was I thinking? See, the problem with jumping too quickly through what was I thinking is that we've never given ourselves enough time to actually process an answer for that question because we're so apt to get back into it. We don't want to take the time to really formulate an answer for that. We think we might know the answer already. There's a pastor that I know who, um, uh, and respect, and he's got campuses, and he he has other pastors who work for him. He has one policy when it comes to remarriage for somebody who's coming out of a marriage. I don't care if you want to remarry him. I'm not, you know, I understand that marriage is, is, uh, that divorce is part of our culture, and, and not to downplay it or whatever, but 
He's like, listen, my one rule is this. Somebody coming out of a divorce, I don't want you to perform a marriage ceremony for a remarriage ceremony for them for two years. I want you to give them two years. I think it takes them that much time for them to really answer the question, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? The tendency is they get out and they want to jump right back into something, but then they're going to end up in the same, and they don't want to. They want this next marriage to end differently than the last one. But they've never taken the time to go through the process to really come up with a great answer. Um, about three or four years ago, we were at Southridge and I was doing a series on relationships. And I had this one-year dating challenge. And I said, for those of you who are coming out of a long-term relationship, and right now you're hurting and it's raw and it's like, ah, I don't like it. I don't like being single. I don't like the fact that I'm 25 or 30 or 35 or whatever and still single and yada, yada, yada. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the one-year dating challenge. I don't want you to date for an entire year. Literally, I want you to pull out your phone right now. I want you to scroll up to a year, put a date on there, and then say, I can start dating again, right? And I said, now, here's the deal. This is going to be difficult um, because here's what's going to happen. I promise you, you're going to say, you know what? This sounds like a good idea. I've been hurt so many times, and I really, really, really want the next time to be different. So Brent, I'm going to take you up on your challenge. I'm going to do an entire year. I said, here's the problem. Here's what's going to happen. When you put that date on your calendar, what's going to happen is the woman of your dreams is going to come start working for your company two weeks from now. And she's going to have a desk right next to yours. And you're going to say, okay, when I made that promise, I didn't know she was going to be so hot, okay? <laughs> so that's, that's on me. And I don't know that I can make it 52 weeks. I, I think I can make it two weeks. You know what I mean? I said, that's, but listen, then don't be surprised when the next time ends up like the last time. Renewing your mind takes time. And it is a process. And it's a challenge to be able to do this. And this is so true, like for any, listen, any major life change. Some of the best advice I've ever given to people is just wait. I know there's gonna, like there's pressure to rush some things. There's a loss of a loved one. So what do I do? Do I sell the house? Do I move? Do I start over? Do I make this? I'm like, I just wait. There's so much in the short term, it, there's just a lack of clarity when you're so close to major loss or major life change that you need time to be able to wait and make that work. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he continues. Then, if and when you do this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, even if you're not religious, if you're not into the whole Jesus thing, if there was a God that existed who had some sort of an active presence in like how life works and had a specific will for your life and my life, wouldn't you want to know kind of what that is? I mean, isn't this the goal to not butt up against God's will, but to go with the flow of 
his will. If this existed, wouldn't it be good to know this? Paul says, in light of God's mercy, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then and only then will you be able to know what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Listen, this is the reason I think you should be in church every week. Not because um, I need the attendance numbers to look good, all right? Not because it's really lonely in an abandoned theater and I really want you here. You need to be an intentional community every single week, constantly, repetitively dealing with the habits. It's not, a, it's not enough to come in one time and be like, this was really challenging, this is really good, I will tuck this away. I think I'm good for like a year. That's like going to work out one time and being like, I really, I crushed myself. I crushed my body. I feel really great. But it doesn't, listen, we know it's not the same. And if not church, some sort of a small group or a community or a friendship, somebody who speaks into your life on a regular basis so that I'm constantly renewing my mind, renewing my mind, renewing my mind, or reading scripture and being like, God, I don't even understand all of this sometimes, but renew my mind, renew my mind. Help me to see things differently so that I see the world differently, so that I operate differently, so that I don't end up conformed to the pattern of this world. Listen, regret and resolve are not enough. Regret and resolve are not enough. I want you guys to say this out loud for yourself, because this is, and listen, I I hardly ever ask you to say things out loud in church. It's weird. I get it. This is an all skate. We're all doing this on three. Ready? One, two, three. Regret and resolve are not enough. One more time. Regret and resolve are not enough. Listen, when you find yourself going, what was I thinking? You owe it to yourself to have an answer to that question. And regret and resolve are not enough. Ah, that was stupid. I regret that I ever did that. And I resolve to do it differently next time. It's not enough, you guys. Don't be surprised when you're doing it again. Don't be surprised when it's not any different. Regret and resolve are not enough. Now, I came up with some ideas or some things that drive and inform our decision-making in response to the question of what was I thinking? Because... If you take enough time, you'll come up with answers. And you may not like the answers, and you probably won't like these answers, and that's fine. And these ones probably don't apply to you. They apply to all your friends and family who couldn't make it to church today, and that's cool. You can tell them about it later or send them the link or whatever, but I want to tell you possibly what you were thinking. Some of these are going to be funny, and some of these are going to be ouch funny. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's funny, but it's real, and it hurts. And I needed to hear that, okay? Um, seven lethal assumptions is what I call it. Number one is this. When you, if you found yourself going, what was I thinking? Here's what you were thinking. If I can find the right person, everything will be all right. What you were thinking was, my problem with broken relationships is I keep finding the wrong person. Gosh, dang it. I'm a bad searcher. What's wrong with, something's messed up. No, finding the right person isn't the goal. The goal is to become the right person. 
What you were thinking was, all I need to do is find the right person, but you failed to recognize it's really important for me to work on being the right person. I um, worked with a guy, I've mentioned this before in a previous relationship series, but it's so relevant. It was after work one night, we were at the restaurant closing up shop, sitting at the bar, it was like midnight on a Friday night. He had just got out of another broken relationship. And he looked at me and he goes, Brent, what I need, I just need to find a good Christian girl. That's what he said. And I said, Travis, I I shouldn't say his name. I said, "Uh, buddy, um, here's the problem. Good Christian girls aren't looking for guys like you. And I love you, buddy. But you got to work on yourself a little bit first. You, you need to become the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for. Because if you're not, then don't be surprised when you can't find the person that you're looking for. Does it make sense? So what was I thinking? Well, you were thinking, I just need to find him. I just need to find her. No, you don't need to find her. You need to be that person. Because when you become the kind of person the person you're looking for is looking for, it's amazing how God kind of works those relationships out. All right, number two, I gotta move on. <clears throat> what was I thinking? You were thinking, my situa- situation is unique. I know that somebody from the outside would say, well, it feels like common sense to do this, but my situation's unique. No, it's not. <laughs> you are unique. Your situation is not. When you find yourself saying, well, my situation is unique, that's your way of talking yourself around what you know you ought to do. That is our way of going around the rules, saying, I know what common sense says, but my situation is unique. Listen, unfortunately, you are not all that unique. (laughs) When you go to counseling, um, your counselor, there's about seven personality types. Your counselor knows what you need to hear within about 10 minutes of you walking through the door. They go through a filter and be like, yep, yeah, okay, number, you're number three. And you're like, I've only been here 10 minutes. No, 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 my situation's unique. Okay, let's talk about it, right? Hey, I'm getting paid by the hour. Let's talk about it. Let's do this thing. But I can tell you what you want to hear, or well, I can tell you what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Your situation isn't all that unique. You just think that it is because you want to do your own thing. What was I thinking? You were coming up with excuses for it. Number three. What was I thinking? I was thinking, it's not right, but it makes me happy, and God wants me to be happy. So that, therefore, that's, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, I don't even know if this is true, that second part. I don't know that God wants to make you happy. I know that you want to make you happy, and I know that we operate, we're all on a happiness quest in life, trying to do whatever it takes to make ourselves happy, and if we can throw in God's approval on something, that only helps a little bit. But I don't know that that's always true. And we, the reality, what we need to hear is, if it's not right, things don't turn out right. But when we know that something is wrong and we just want to do something that's wrong, we go, I know it's wrong, but it makes me happy. That's what we were thinking. If you find yourself saying, I know it's not right, but you are about to talk yourself into something that you're probably going to regret. Number four, 
If only I had blank, then I would be satisfied. What was I thinking? What you were thinking was, if I could just get that, then I would be satisfied. Here's a follow-up question. Have you ever met somebody with just one tattoo? Have you? One tattoo? Is it not the case that once a friend gets a tattoo, like before they leave the parking lot of the tattoo parlor, they're like, I cannot wait to fill this out and do all of this and just everything. I want a roadmap of Delaware all over my arm. We think it's just one, but it's not. And listen, I'm not against tattoos. I don't care. I just think it's really funny to talk to somebody who got a tattoo because they thought this would be enough and it's painful and it costs money and they cannot wait to get a second one. Why? Because appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They are never fully and finally satisfied. What were you thinking? You thought your appetite could be satisfied if I just did this one thing. I really want to buy this car. I will be happy. I will never buy another car. This will be the car. This is my favorite line from everybody who buys a new car. And I'm like, hey, that's a nice new car. They'd be like, yeah, bought it. Probably more than I should have spent. But you know what? I'm going to drive this thing into the ground. That's what you said about the last car and the last car. It's fine. But don't, don't confuse, don't delude yourself into thinking, oh, if I only had this one thing, then I'll be satisfied. That's what you were thinking. What was I thinking? You thought your appetite could be satisfied. Number five, <clears throat> I owe is better than I want. Here's what I mean by that. What was I thinking when I bought this thing? What you thought in that moment was, I would rather owe then continue to want something. I want something really bad, but I can't afford it. If I want it, if I want to remove the I want, and now I no longer want it, I'm going to owe. I don't like I owe, but I don't like I want either. <clears throat> I'm in this tough predicament. Do I want to owe or do I want to want something? I think I want to owe something instead, so I'm going to purchase it. And then you find yourself going, what was I thinking? Now, I don't like owing on things. But Gisa and Hapo won't take it back. I've tried. I've gone, I would like to not owe this anymore. I would like to go back to just wanting it. And they're like, oh, no, no, no. We, we financed your I want and moved it into the I owe category. And we want you to owe. You see how that works? Because that's how we make money. Um, so therefore... <clears throat> We can't go back into this. And this feels like a Dr. Seuss, I owe, I want, I owe, right? <clears throat> but at one point, what was I thinking? You were thinking I owe is better than I want. But common sense, but outside advisors, but other people would tell you, it's better to want than to owe. It's better to want than to owe. It's better to want than to owe. Yeah, but in that moment, what was I thinking? Better to I owe is better than I want. Number six, my secret is safe with me. What was I thinking? You thought your secret was safe with you. You had this whole false self going on. You had this whole angle about you. You had this whole other thing on the side that nobody else knew about. And you thought, I can continue to do this, and this part of me will not affect this part of me. And what you failed to realize is that secrets 
seep. And they seep into our most valuable relationships. And so this little addiction thing, this little porn thing, this little relationship extra on the side, this little whatever it is on the side, we thought it's my little secret. What I was thinking in that moment is my secret is safe with me. What I failed to realize is it, it affects my relationship, whether or not she or he ever finds out about it at all. Even if they don't find the truth about it, it has an influence and affects who I am as a husband, as a dad, as a father, as a mother, as a wife. Secrets seep. See how that works? What was I thinking? You thought you could live this dualistic lifestyle. You can't. Number seven, save the best for last. You ready for this one? What was I thinking? Sex will solve it. I know we're fighting. I know that there's like this thing in this relationship that we're like, I don't know, where this, what's the next level? What's this? But sex will solve it. And my honest question for uh, people, because I, I know this is the, like, C.S. Lewis talked about this as sexual fidelity, as the most unpopular Christian moral. <laughs> and this was back in the 60s when he was writing. Can you imagine even, even today now, more so? And he says, listen, I want you to take a real quick inventory of your life. Does sex make things better or just more complicated? Does it make it more complicated? See, that's, that, that's true. Sex complicates it. Yeah. Is sex created by God and it's wonderful in the context of marriage? All that. Yeah, 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 yes, 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 yes. But the reality is, what was I thinking? What you were thinking in that moment was instead of actually dialoguing and coming up with healthy boundaries in our relationship, let's just have sex and that'll solve it. And it only made it more complicated. And then you're like, well, what was I thinking? This is what you were thinking. This is what you were thinking. Listen, all of these things, these are all a little bit random and probably don't apply to you because you're so cool. And you have your life so much more put together than all of this. Um, but these are examples of really, if you took a few moments, and not a, not a few moments, a season, and came down to the real nitty gritty of what was I thinking? These might be some of the things you come up with. And there's probably 12, there's probably 50, there's not seven. I just picked seven. But you owe it to yourself to answer the question, what was I thinking? Because if you don't, then don't be surprised if next time looks a lot like last time. Because if you don't change your thinking, and if you don't evaluate what you've gone through, then why in the world would we think it would look any different? And Paul says, this is so true when it comes to relationships. This is true when it comes to our, our, our relationship with our heavenly father. He says, in view of God's mercy, live your life as a living sacrifice. Don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that renewing process that takes time, that answers, that pauses long enough to wait for an answer to the question, what was I thinking? then you will be able to understand and discern what God's will is for your life, his true, perfect 
and good will for each and every one of us. Not only do I need to own my piece of the past, I need to pause long enough to rethink it. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, kind of an ouch funny. Like we, we, we listen to these and we've all kind of been there. And um, this is the kind of truth that we don't like to hear, but need to hear sometimes. And we pray that whatever situation that we find ourselves in, whether we're in that season right now of a beginning, uh, of a fresh start, of a new thing, of a reboot, of, of something, that we would really, uh, really pause long enough to answer this question. That we would not rip ourselves off from the opportunity to hear and discern your will for our life. We apologize for those times that we've rushed back into things because, doggone it, we've, we, we're more experienced now. We, we know what we're doing now, or there's no time, there's no time, there's no time. I, I pray that we would buck up against that pressure, that really external pressure that we live in as a culture, and that you cause us to pause and wait and rely and rest in you and learn to trust you more. Give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life and the courage to act on it in your name, amen.